0: there was a big storm and we had to leave the tugboat so we in fact lost part of one of our precious days because there was like too much lightning too close to the boat so we had to go skittering off and like everybody's like the sound guy's umbrella was flying out and it was like just a total disaster but um it's 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 really amazing how how much like a kind of battle it really is
1: and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a composer with writer's block rediscovers his passion after an adventurous one-night stand. In director Rebecca Miller's drama, She Came to Me. The film tells the story of Stephen, who is unable to finish the score for his big comeback opera. At the behest of his wife and former therapist Patricia, he sets out in search of inspiration, but finds much more than he bargained for in the form of Katrina a tugboat captain with her own obsessions. In addition to She Came to Me, Miller's other directorial credits include the feature films Maggie's Plan, The Ballad of Jack and Rose, Angela, and the documentary Arthur Miller, Writer. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Miller spoke with director Noah Baumbach about filming She Came to Me. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation.
2: I was thinking of that uh i think it's about rules of the game that Jean Renoir quote of everybody has their reasons you yeah. know and and that you clearly love everybody in the movie um and i you know even though it's like at the same time the movie acknowledges how complex everything is there's this affection for everybody
0: yeah i think that's true i mean i think that ultimately i can't help but in order to write a character, I have to be able to empathize with them in some way, and so then that leads to me loving them usually, even Trey, I ended up sort of loving in a weird way
2: <laughs> um, because with the directors guild, I thought i i I wanted to sort of ask you about i mean about many things about directing, but I think when see if this is a question you can answer because you can also say I don't I don't have an answer for this. Yeah. Um, if when you when you have the script and you feel like you've got a draft of the script, you feel like the script's kind of done, but you're not yet making the movie. Maybe you don't have the money yet. You don't have your crew yet, necessarily. How do you, in, in those early m- moments, as you're trans- sort of moving from writer dir- to director, how, how do you start p- preparing for the movie as a director?
0: I draw and paint. Like, I, I use, in this one, I used an iPad and drew out the central visual moment of every scene. In a way, this one was more like a comic strip than I've ever done before because it's funny and also because I just sort of saw it. All these ironic situations were juxtaposed, you know? And so I, and also color was really important and how the different worlds had different color. And so my preparation was very was very visual. And then, of course, there's the moment where you do have the money and never quite enough money. So then there's always the question of what do you have to cut out and how do you, how do you, you know, um, like, for example, the moment where he falls in the water and you go straight into that rehearsal scene through his mouth. Well, there was originally a whole sequence where he was like out, gets out. He, he, there was a whole long sequence of how he gets home. And then he tells his wife, you know, she's like, you know, I have a character. She came to me one day, you know, like when I was on my walk and so on. But I realized that I didn't need, I was actually swimming when I had this idea. But I realized, you know, the whole thing could just happen. Like you could just cut all that stuff. So there were, there was, there's quite a lot of creative Cutting that goes on because you can't afford certain things like or example she went to an a, a asylum like you know she went to a to a mental health facility before we realized that that was a little too much so we ended up in her bedroom which i thought was kind of wonderfully 19th century that they just put her upstairs
2: are you a good drawer or is it like yeah
0: well i was a, originally i was an artist so i like i trained as an artist as a painter so i drawing comes very naturally to me but i was sort of i was like you know like the like him behind the plant or him underwater or you know the 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 essential moment of every scene like i'm not necessarily sh- like drawing every single shot as it goes through, but like, what is the the kernel, the visual kernel of every scene? And imagining what that is helps me to then, once I have a location, to kind of try and recapture that.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, do you take you show when you start? Now that you have crew involved and and collaborators, do you then bring these pictures to them and and
0: yes. Yes, and in fact, we had them all on the production, pre-production office, we had them all up on the walls and people had them um, and looked at them. And also because there was two different aspect ratios in the film, like the composition of the different parts of the film and like how that it was helpful for them to be able to look at that and remember, oh, yeah, we're square or we're not square, you know.
2: And then, and so when do you, did you come to the aspect ratio to the two different aspect ratios and when, when, when you're alone or did you, was that something that came later when, when, well,
0: no, I was alone. I always wanted, you know, in Lola Montez, there's a little change of aspect ratio. There's like it goes square, and I was thought, oh, I really want to do that, but I had to think I, I don't like it when people just do it arbitrarily. I thought like there's got to be a reason, and then when I started to look at tugboats, which was I started to go in tugboats in 2016, to, like so a long time ago. Um, I realized you can't like shoot wide format in a tugboat because you know it's just the walls it's like you're not you're getting nothing you really need to shoot it square and I watched this movie La Talante, which is like a classic French movie like amazing movie, and I thought well, that's the way to shoot inside a boat is like you shoot square and I thought well, that's great, so i'll go <clears throat> inside the tugboat it'll be square and then i I decided the nuns cell and the kids' room in the beginning should be square because it's sort of like everybody goes there to it's their sort of love rectangle, it's like square or something. Like it's the love, the place where 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 people become who they really want to be, and um, and then you had I mean, that was my justification. I just wanted to do it, and then you had the the, the wide the wider thing for the river and for the for the um, for the big theatrical shots, you know, like in the operas. So it seemed like a justification for something that I had always wanted to do. <laughs>
2: when you when uh, when you edit, do you also put sort of essential like frames up on the wall or do you do anything like that, or do you do you, does that does that continue into the edit sort of thinking about these kind of moments the same way you you know no. or, or in a new way
0: I didn't really do that because then then the, no, but we do use index cards like I'm a great. Believer in index cards, (laughs) you know, like because it. I'm very visual, and so it helps me. Like I can't, if I read a script page by page, I can't understand it until I see it physically, you know. And I can see how much time I'm in one place, how much time in another place, and understand it visually in a way as one thing, you know. So sometimes we do that in the editing room where we 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 see it that way. The editing process. yeah, is is well, this time we didn't do any um, editors cut sort of. We decided to just do it ourselves because that always is so such a fraught thing, you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: And and so okay, so then working with say your ad and, yeah. and Sam, your your cinematographer who you've, you worked with on Maggie's plan as yeah. well, um, uh, and. You know, and whoever else, uh, how how do you start making these decisions about what can we accomplish in the time we have, and you know, sort of some of those cuts that you talked about. When, when yeah. did those? I mean, did you have those? Those I assume start happening when you're prepping, you know, leading up to the shoot. But yeah. but then you also just have to make your days and do it well and all of that yeah. too. So so how maybe I don't know. If this is sort of a general way, but because we're at the Directors Guild, sort of a way of talking about how you kind of decide with everybody sort of how we're going to do this in the time we have. Well,
0: there are, there are, well, so for example, there, he, there was a scene, a whole scene, where he climbs out the window at the opera house. He climbs out the window, and there are two people below him arguing. One of them loves the opera, and one of them hates the opera. And he's forced to, to descend into the, I can say, I was like, he says thank you to the woman who liked it. Anyway, I thought it was really funny, but we had to get rid of it because we just did not have time. So we realized, I realized that you, you, you could get rid of it. And we could live without it. Um, there was a whole thing where he escapes out of Katrina's room, stateroom. Well, hardly stateroom, her, her room in the boat, and runs accidentally into the into the first mate's bedroom, and he's shaving, and there's a whole thing. And I had to cut that, so it's a little bit heartbreaking, but. Um, I mean, I guess that's the thing that directors have to be able to do is you have to be able to say, you know, to take the script that you lovingly wrote for eight years and say, well, (laughs) you know, slash it, but know that you can recover. I mean, and what's amazing is I think that people's imaginations do fill up a lot. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And better to do it before you shoot than spend all the time, you know, when you could be spending it on. Yeah, you know, on the scenes that you end up, you know, I mean, I think that's something that's sort of undervalued. Is even thinking of like, like I've started working with an editor. The the editor I'm working with on the script mm. in advance of shooting because in a, I feel like yeah. we're gonna you're always gonna cut things you shot no matter what. I did what. the
0: same thing with this <clears throat> actually. Yeah. That's a really good point, and I'm glad you said that. Sabine Hoffman, who's my editor for 20 years. She and I went through it, and I said, "Like, just tell me what we would cut anyway, and started thinking about it that way, and also structurally and all compressing the ending. Um, the ending, the idea of the ending, intercutting the wedding at the end, was actually came from, my producing partner said something about how it was it was too, it, there were too many things, it ended too many times, like there was a whole time where they get, you know, anyway, there was a lot of things that happened at the end, and I realized that you could just embed the wedding, which is one of the most successful things I think about the film is that thing, but it really came out of realizing that it was too, um, wasn't muscular enough, and it was too loose at the end. It was too story-laden. And I mean, it's that thing about you don't want to end a film three times. And, uh, um, and, and also to use film for film, you know what I mean? Like, not, it's film. It's not, it's, it, you can make these leaps, and make these cuts, and make sense of it.
2: Um, do, do, could you talk about working with Sam a second time and sort of that collaboration? <laughs> the, uh, Sam Levy, the cinematographer.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, Sam and I, you know, I found that it was actually a very different collaboration, partly because I was really insistent that we be super bold this time. And, you know, he's wonderfully responsible in a certain way. Like, he really wants to get it right. And I sometimes... This time I was like, no, but I, that's great, but I really wanted to be quite, I mean, hardly extreme, but in a way extreme, like, you know, like, no, we're actually going to really just be handheld in the the tugboat and nothing else, or in the bathroom, it's going to be weird violet light. And he really went with all of this stuff, but it was like kind of like us together being more bold. And I think that comes from having worked once together before. Yeah. and, you know, you, you you really, in order to make a film like this, you need somebody who can um, b- sort of straddle a thing of being artful but also just being really fast, you know, and, and, and he was able to do those things and figure, you know, just figure it out. Uh, but I do think that, like, in this case, also having a great AD was really important because the AD is just, like, really creating the film with you and you suddenly realize once you have a great ad you're like oh right that's what they
2: do yeah 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 do you want to talk more about i mean sort of about how you worked with your ad and how you scheduled it and how you worked on the day i mean when i mean because that's the thing too it's like when you have an ad who says like there are different ways of saying we it's time to move on, you know or we we yeah. probably should you know we we need to be at the chinese restaurant and you know yeah. and in you know two hours or whatever that and and how when you're directing how you hear it and how you respond and
0: well Josh muzafer, who's um the a d for this film, had been the second on. Maggie's plan, and I had said to the, my producing partner, I said, like, that guy's going to be a first, and when he's a first, I really, really want him to be my first, because he was just great, like, he's just one of, you know, film is like a war, and you know the soldiers that are going to help you when you're, you know, in the fray, and he was, because everybody got COVID, like, three of the actors got COVID, and a lot of the crew got COVID, so we had to keep moving uh, our our schedule around constantly, and he was incredibly, uh, you know, good at that. But, um, you know, I didn't, it was less about, being on the water was tough because it was only so long we had. We had one day on the open water, and we really had to accomplish that scene that's in the wheelhouse, the love scene in the wheelhouse, in a very economical way. Um, And, it was really tough. I never remember feeling like, weirdly, like I was rushed. I felt kind of like we had time. We had enough time to make the film. I mean, part of it was that we had done all this pruning and all this, like, work ahead of time, and then some of that had to be done in the middle of shooting. I mean, we had to make some decisions in the middle of shooting. And I lost a day right before we started shooting. I lost that entire day, which I burst into tears, I admit. Um, (laughs) Because it was just one step too far. But um, sometimes you just lose a day and you have to figure out how to do it. it. There was a weird time where everybody got COVID and we had more time and we only had Anne Hathaway to work with. <laughs> and that was the day we shot with that like violet light in the bathroom and all this stuff that we, we shot with her that was very kind of experimental and kind of like wonderfully, we suddenly had all this time it felt like it was a completely different movie. But um yeah.
2: That's what uh, when Brian De Palma said on Scarface, when Al Pacino, he, he picked up a gun, a prop gun and burnt his hand and had to he couldn't shoot for a few weeks. So they ended up just shooting everybody, shoot everybody. I mean, they filming everybody shooting at. Al Pacino. So that's why that scene is in mean, Scarface has so many people. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's because they were just like, let's just shoot more people shooting, shooting. At, at him. Yeah. That's so then very when he funny. came back. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean those 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 when those things happen, they sometimes create opportunity, obviously. But it's also you have to know how to find it and how to work with it. Do you when you when you um when you know you're starting to shoot uh, do you like do you change like your lifestyle or your approach or like how do you like train to to direct a movie
0: well it you know it depends i mean you're the father of little children right now and when i was the mother of little children um like it was, you know, I would almost roll out of the car at the end of the day, you know, and and run to the, in there and try and like be a mother for a while with my kids. And now, you know, for the first time, actually, my husband was away too. I would go home, like, have a yogurt and like just keep thinking about the film. So it really depends on. I think that you have to be very physically fit. I had a like I you know, I actually had to have a hip replacement right after we shot. So I was actually walking around on no cartilage on one of my hips. And looking back on it, it's like, yeah, on a tow. And I kept climbing up and down the stairs. And I was like, I, it just shows you what you can do with adrenaline, you know, like just sheer and willpower. But overall, like, I think you just, um, you know, my. It becomes you're only obsessed with one thing, I guess. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, I think it's really just about being obsessed with one thing, and every day's a different challenge. Like when we were shooting the the, the operas, which was an enormous challenge, because we had to shoot them both basically in like in two days, and also the stuff, all the stuff about the, the the fundraiser and everything as well. That was like one of the most exciting. I mean, to me, that's where I learned. I knew nothing so it was like the learning curve was enormous enormous
2: did you so did you have when you staged the operas you had obviously helped doing that so like like how did you you know imagine them to make them both convincing and also sort of of Peter's character in a way or I mean.
0: Yeah, we always had this idea. I remember the production designer showing me these wonderful images for the first opera that were these very stark expressionistic, like red, white, black, like very expressionistic images. I thought, great. It should be very stark, the first one, and mostly proscenium, excepting from his point of view when she's looking at him and, you know, basically very simple. And then the second one should be full of like kind of more um, romantic and, and hazy and, you know, and the whole music should function like a song more and the other one should be more kind of strident. And so the way that it was kind of like trying to reflect his character and what his character is going through. But the, the second one was really exciting because we shot like these study cam very mike fuchs who i don 't know if you know him he 's an amazing study cam operator and he just like shot he he just started and we would just do you know wider shots and like of the whole the whole thing and then he would do medium and then closer shots, and he just kept rolling and doing these wonderful takes like of, of what was going on, because I wanted it to feel almost like you were inside of the experience of the second opera, you know? Um, so it was, uh, it, it just felt kind of surreal because they were so beautiful. And just to, I don't know, just to have thought about it for so long and to actually see these, these things actually being performed. And these wonderful actors, most of whom were shooting, you know, we were mostly recording them live. It was am- amazing.
2: And and could you talk about working with this cast and these actors? And you know, did, did you? Uh, this is the first time you've worked with any of the lead actors. Yes, the, the yeah, um,
0: yeah. So
2: and and yeah, I mean, I just talk a bit about sort of working with them, and also I suppose, I mean, it's that thing also as a director. All, you you know, all actors are different, and part of our job is to is to sort of learn them in a way yeah. and and you know did you have time in advance to sort of spend with them and 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 sort of you know you could just talk a bit about it
0: yeah i mean that's such a beautiful way of saying it about learning them because that's exactly the job is you you can't possibly have a technique for, that goes for every actor because they're different people and you know i spent time with peter um, and re- learned very quickly that we would be friends and that we function as friends, you know, and that it would be very open and very discursive and, like, just talk each, you know, back and forth. Joanna made it very clear early on that the only way she could do an English-speaking movie without an acting coach was if she spent several days at my house, and so she came and lived with me for several days. Wow. We went through the whole movie together. After three days, like halfway through the day, she said, Okay, I'm done. And that was it. Like she was done. She understood. She had me say a lot of the words, like just so she could understand because English is not, you know, her first language. And she's, but she had moved to LA with her family to understand being a stranger in America. She was living in LA for and, like three weeks. And when did, weeks. You,
2: did you, because you'd seen her in Cold War, I suppose. Of course. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, I mean,
0: she was my number one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, well, I wanted her to be Polish because I really believed that. Somebody who's an immigrant and comes from a deep culture like that—that's not America—that's like a Eastern European culture—is going to just like act different. I mean, it's not the same. You could get a great actor; they're just not going to be the same. And I thought, you know, and and also just it so happens. Joanna is just the most amazing human being, and we just gelled. And we went to dinner, and we went. Then you know, when she said, "Okay, I'm done now. I want to go to a musical," (laughs) so we went to a musical. was so cute. I mean, she was just an amazing person. And then, you know, uh, I had known um, Marissa Tomei socially a little bit for years. And we had I had always thought, you know, maybe one day we could find something. And I sent it to her, and, you know, I think Marissa, now knowing her now, I understand what a big deal it was that she was just like, yes. Because she's very, she thinks about everything a lot, and she really thinks things through, and she's like, maybe, maybe not, you know, but she's like, oh, I'm doing this. And we just had a good understanding, but, you know, I realized what she needed. Um, she's a very precise very detail-oriented. She thinks a lot about clothes. Actually, the the outfit that she wears almost the entire movie, which is that blue suit, she brought. So she's, she's just a very, you know, she thought about shoes until the last minute. I thought this woman's going to be barefoot because we just couldn't find shoes. And she finally found shoes. And she, it was like she was just, very detail oriented and everything like what her hair was what her she needs that to be right on the outside some actors don't care they just arrive and they just want to get dressed and whatever you've and then that will inform them she's different in that way so she needs that preparation I'd say the preparation is so important for her and uh, Anne is a very physical, almost like a dancer as an actor, so her whole performance and, and it's true that her she's acting with her whole body all the time and so and details like all the idea of, of the tissues with the dog's leash that was her you know um, the, the little white cleaning outfit was her idea. She had so many thoughts about so many ideas she's very she's very creative in that way and she um, and I had worked with her for almost a year because she was the first person on
2: and did you did you get rehearsal time with them
0: (laughs) Not strict rehearsal. Like, nobody in that group wanted to really rehearse. They were not rehearsers.
2: Right. Well, that's part of it, too, is yeah, you know, <laughs> discovering who doesn't want to rehearse.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like, I was ready. I would have been ready to kind of rehearse more. Or do
2: you like to rehearse generally? Or
0: What I usually do is, like, for Jack and Rose, for The Ballad of Jack and Rose, which was a movie I made a long time ago, but was very intense, I I actually wrote scenes that were almost like the scenes, but not the scenes, so people could rehearse their emotion, but not wear the dialogue out. With this one, because really there were, I, I did have them read the scenes to make sure there was not anything that was just not right that people were not going to be able to say. And I changed some words for them. But generally... I've never really rehearsed. The only movie that I really rehearsed was uh, my first film, Angela, where I had children and they really liked to rehearse and they wanted to go over it. And there was a whole magical kind of thinking thing that they had to rehearse and almost think about that, you know, think that way. Um, Other than that, I've never really done a lot of rehearsal, um, partly because these actors, a lot of actors don't like to, a lot of film actors don't like to rehearse that much.
2: Do you have then that experience when you're shooting where you're like, Oh that's how you're doing it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's how you're gonna do the blindness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. yeah um, well a little bit, yeah. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Here yeah. we go. Well with with, with, with Marissa she we went through all this thing where she was maybe gonna be Russian. I was like, No, we're not you're not gonna be Russian, you're not gonna be this, you're not gonna be that. And then it was like it's gonna be in the United States. Then for a minute it was gonna be maybe Boston. She was trying Boston, she was sending me different, you know, voices. And finally we ended up with what, you know, she ended up with. But it was a long process of a lot of trial and error. And um, you know, I love doing that. I love that. I did that with Daniel on the Ballad of Jack and Rose, where he sent, you know, gave me different different accents and voices. I really love that because it's a very beautiful way of, I think, of collaborating with people. But, um, uh, I, I guess with, I guess Peter was it? Yeah, Peter and Marissa. I mean, to some degree, it was a mis- it, it was a, it was a process of discovery and also of course in the first days people are so enervated that you almost have to let them kind of like
2: right get their yayas out
0: yeah get their steam you know, like you know they they have to blow off steam
2: um and and the the two the teenagers are so great so maybe talk about working with them and finding yeah. them and <laughs>
0: Well, they were both, it was like a very wide net was cast. Cindy Tolan, my casting director for 30 years now, um, like cast this very wide net. And um, Harlow Jane auditioned. It was between her and one other girl. It became very clear that Harlow, I mean, she's just a wonderful actress. Like she, she just, she's just emotional and um, a real, like she created a character for this. She is not like that girl at all. And and it 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 was like really she really created a character, and so it became clear that she was it was going to be her. And then we were looking for boys, and you know it's hard. It Had to be Anne Hathaway's son. It had to be believable on so many levels. And um, Evan Elliston, like just it was, you know, his eyes that just wrapped around his head. He just had this wonderful, just real quality about him. The main thing for him was that he was very intimidated because he was so green i mean he was like at least harlow comes from a family of actors he does not come from that he had no history he had done one part in a small thing in a movie he was or in a television thing he was so overwhelmed by suddenly working with peter dinklage and anne hathaway and every weekend i would sit with him and we would have breakfast and I would say you are as important in the frame the frame doesn't care like you and Anne Hathaway are equally important and also talking to him about you know this boy who's a privileged boy you know and who who's kind of a prince in a way you know and he's you've got to, and sort of getting him to believe that about himself and that was the biggest challenge with him was really that um, yeah And but they had a natural rapport between them so it was really like it was wonderful it was almost like just capturing who they were at that moment you know it's like that scene in the, the that double scene of the zoom scene it felt like a documentary in a way you know
2: I like how you did that too because the it's 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 always such a drag shooting computers and phones and things and just to sort of you know just offer it up like I was this like that uh, there's that Cary Grant Ingrid Bergman movie disc- Indiscreet, you know, where they yeah. they're on the bed, but they looks like they're in the bed together, but th- it's a split screen. You know, yeah. but they're in their they're at home on the phone, you know, yeah. And they, but just to like sort of make it, you know, to make you know computer stuff, movie stuff.
0: Yeah, and that was very much Sam. I mean, I really have to say he fought really hard to do it for real, to do it like that, um, and. That she was in the next room with a facsimile of her bedroom, and they and they played it like that, and 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 it's and it's so beautifully real. I just love when he looks out the window right before he says that thing about how, like, if you know, if I marry someone else, you know, and he looks out the window and he says, "All my life," and you just see him thinking of himself older. Mm-hmm. It's so touching to me.
2: Um, the. Talk about also. I mean, shooting in New York. This is Maggie's plan was New York. This is New York, and and shooting in your town, and and yeah. and it's Brooklyn Heights, I guess, where they live, right? And, yeah, and Brooklyn, and just, uh, maybe talk about sort of how you thought about the locations both in advance and also as finding them and and sort of how they were incorporated into the story.
0: Well, the big the big searches were for where are we going to do the tugboats cuz the play they they were based in Long, uh, Staten Island that company, but then we shot mostly in Brooklyn and in, in Red Hook. And then where was the theater going to be, which was actually United Palace Theater Uptown. And, you know, we went through so many different things, like are we going to do it in, in a black box theater? Are we going to do it in a, you know, and then finding that theater, which had all that gold, was so wonderful because I just loved all the gold. It was so majest, majestic and wonderful. So we ended up there. And then, the, the yeah, the Tugboats, you know, was really about finding the right company the, the, you know and 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 then the right the right boat we had to find the right boat and um you know those boats are incredibly eloquent you know they have all this wonderful patina patina and everything in them and 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 the uh of course we decorated the boat but you know you get so much free stuff of all the like the paint that's coming off and all that stuff you it would cost you know i can't imagine how much money to to make that happen like on a set Bill. Yeah, I mean, when we did have a dream of building the boat long ago, and but it really wouldn't have been as good.
2: And w- did you pick Brooklyn Heights for any particular reason? or did you?
0: Well, because I wanted it to be Brooklyn. You know, there was a moment where we thought it was going to be Philadelphia, and then I thought, no, Brooklyn is good because he could legitimately, there could legitimately be the, Tro- the Troika Opera Company in Brooklyn, and he could live in Brooklyn and get lost in Brooklyn, and she could still have her, car, her, her boat parked. I mean, it was this whole thing about, really, geography. And actually, one of the most interesting things about preparing for the movie was the, uh, the location scouts that involved going on the water, because you were on the water you know, we, we we went up and down the Hudson all over the place. There was a moment, oh my God, where they thought they were going to make me do it in New Jersey for Brooklyn. Oh, that was awful <laughs> because because it was cheaper, you know, better tax back. And it's just not the same. And the, you know, things like that, the, um, the, 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 the electric wires are all above ground in New Jersey and i think and things like that like just all sorts of things and i ended up literally kneeling on this pavement begging my producer not, not to make me shoot in new jersey
2: <laughs> uh, do 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 you ever have that moment where the, you know you're when when you're shooting and you know it's you know you're going late and everybody's and you start to feel it and everybody's kind of getting and you know ID is you know what, oh yeah what, you know, all that's th- and but you feel like you don't have it yet yeah and do you that sort of moment where you have to kind of cut it all everybody off for a second and just yeah. keep going oh yeah. And because yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the thing I always think is nobody's going to remember this, but me later, yeah it, really um, but but it's hard because you want also to be responsible and you want to you know yeah. you don't want everyone to be tired the next day, you know you want to do the right, but you also in those moments where you feel you actually don't have it. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what I'm.
0: Sometimes, well, yeah. well, no, I remember like there was a scene where I think it was a scene where she's in the bed and everybody else is around her. Well, that was actually night, and we were blasting light through to make it seem like the day. And the producer was like having just a heart attack. <laughs> it's just in the hall, and and you know. Um it was like and I was, you know, you are sort of quietly having like a silent stroke as you're like thinking, I just have to I just have to get I have to go again, I have to go again, I have to go again. Um and you really have to pick your battles, don't you? I mean, like, you know, you can't do that every time, but sometimes you just have to do it. And you have to have the allies where The DP has to right be there, but also the AD has to be able to kind of like make it. It, You know, There has to be a moment where everybody circles the wagons because we all understand that this is really important and that you won't do it every time, but there has to be a time where you do it. And you're protecting, really in the end, I also think you're protecting the actor. Mm -hmm. And that enables me to feel less selfish and more like, I'm sorry, I signed up, this person signed up, I'm gonna protect them. And that's sort of how I justify it to myself. But yeah, it's it's it's, it's terrifying. Those days are uh, those. Usually, it's at night. I find it's always been at night when it happens. Yeah,
2: shooting at night just gets harder and harder. Doesn't it? Did, I think so? Did you have many nights on this movie, or did you?
0: Not. S- So many nights, but like a number, yeah, like a good number of nights because we had to shoot the, um, opera stuff at night because there was those windows and, and we had to do some stuff at night in the tugboat. And one night there was a big storm and we had to leave the tugboat. So we in fact lost part of one of our precious days (laughs) because there was like too much lightning too close to the boat. So we had to go skittering off and like everybody's like the sound guy's umbrella was flying out and it was like just a total disaster. But um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's really amazing how, how much like a kind of battle it really is. And then if you add COVID onto it, like it was like, it was insane in a way.
2: (laughs) Well, but the thing is the movie has, is got such you know it's got such spirit and energy and it's and it's really i mean it's so funny and moving and like i said i said at the beginning you feel for everybody which is you know is a rare thing because it's often you know you, you could always sell someone out to make you love somebody more you know and you'd never do that you 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 love them that much more because you love the other person too and and that's really remarkable and you don't you don't, uh, when you watch the movie, you don't think there was ever a lightning storm and,
0: was <laughs> no. ever a uh,
2: um, it's really wonderful. And, um, I want to thank everybody for, for coming and thank Rebecca for. Thank
1: you so listening. much. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and A. The director's cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts and please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.